Let's hear the excitement because y'all get to stay with Pastor Tim this morning. All right, good. Thanks. Thanks for making me feel better, all right? All right, so we're in the book of John. Uh, We're looking at the I Am statements. Today we're going to be talking about um, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Last week what we talked about when when we were talking in, in... we talked about knowledge, we talked about understanding, and how those two need to come together, and then once we have understanding and we put discernment with that, then that's when we're wise, that's when we full, we got to comprehend all this, we need the knowledge and comprehension so that we can understand, and then once one, when we're exposed to the light of the Lord, then um, we, we add discernment to that understanding and we become wise, alright? Today we're going to pick it up in a different place, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 24, is where we're going to start, all right? So we're going to go back to the Old Testament when we're talking about the light of the world. Because really what we wanted to do is we, we talked about last week how, how the light gets to us. Today what I want to do is, is, ha- is to look at it when the light, when we have the light, how do we respond? What, what goes on and how does that affect us, all right? And so I wanted to pull this Old Testament story and help us to see the two ways today that we're going to see how the light when, when God's light gets to us, how, how we deal with it, okay? All right. Moses said, Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and the eyes of the sons of Israel appeared uh, to the appearance of the glory of the Lord. It was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered into the midst of the cloud, and he went up to the mountain, and then Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. Now look, this is a familiar story where Moses goes up and he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. But I want you to see what I want to pull out today is what actually happens to Moses. So everybody's been waiting. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's, what happens when he gets there? Does that happen immediately? No, it doesn't happen immediately. So there's six days he's on this mountain. So everybody's going on. Now, I want you to think about this. There's a lot of stuff that went on down uh, at the base of the mountain. Remember with the Israelites, they weren't real faithful during all this time, were they? They didn't like to wait, and, they, and there was a lot that was going on that was bad stuff. But for Moses, where is he? He's up on the mountain, and he's waiting to hear from God. But it's six days that he waited. So finally, in the midst of all of this, for six days, he wasted on the seventh day, the Lord begins to speak to him, all right? And the the Lord comes to him. How does the Lord come to him? Does the Lord come to him in an apparition that we've seen all the time and throughout all of our little drawings with white flowing hair and looks like a cloud? No, it it didn't come that way, right? Because the descriptions that we have of God are what? God is light, God is spirit, and then we have it here that God is what? A consuming fire. So when the Lord appears to him, he appears to him through these clouds as a consuming fire. So when, that, when, he, when he gets in the presence of God, there should be... When we're in the presence of God, should we feel cold and far apart? No. What do you get when you get a flame? Two things. Light and heat, right? You're going to get light and heat. So when we're in the presence of the Lord, the Lord should what? Enlighten us, which we talked about last week. And, and, and we'll talk about more in just a few minutes. But there's also going to be what? A passion and a fire that's around us. There should be a warmth. There, there's not this cold off feeling. When people come into church, church should be a place where people are accepted and feel there, there's the warmth of the people of God. Are you cold and standoffish? 
Are you someone that's approachable? So if we're people of God, and I understand this, it's not all of our personalities to be warm and fuzzy. And I get it that everybody's not an extrovert. Some of us are introverts. And some of us don't like to speak. And some of us don't like to do all kinds of other things. But when the presence of God is in our lives, it transforms us. It's not an excuse for us anymore. You know, I've done this before. I don't know if you've ever done this. But I've been visiting a church before and gone in for the very first time. Sometimes where people knew me. Sometimes in the own county where I grew up and there was a lot of folks. Sometimes it was, you know, how, I know there used to be a softball team here and you used to play in softball leagues and stuff like this. You know people from other churches, right? If you were to walk into other churches around here where you guys have gone against them and they're in competition through church league, softball, or other things, you know people that go to that church. When you walk in, how should you think that your day would go? Wouldn't you be greeted? Wouldn't your hand be shook? Wouldn't people come up to you, speak to you, and say, how are you doing? That's not always the, the way it goes, is it? I've been in churches where people know me, and I had one person speak to me. You know, I know that the fellowship time in here is really to the nth degree, because you guys love to talk and speak to everybody. But I want you to know something, because people are like, it's the flu season, shouldn't we do away with those things? Shouldn't we get, why don't we take time out of worship and do that? Because part of worship is fellowship. Part of worship is us interacting with each other. Part of worship is us coming out of our shells and doing things that sometimes aren't even part of who we are and, and our makeup so that we can step out and be. Why is that? Because that's what God calls us to. We're in the presence of God. God is a consuming fire. It should overcome everything that is in our lives. So if we think that we can't do that, we can do that. If we think that that's not how we're made or not how we're wired, we should be able to overcome that. Because that's our fears. That's the box that we've placed ourselves in. A consuming fire burns up and takes care of every single solitary bit of that. So when Moses goes up there, what's Moses' problem? Does anybody remember? Come on, it's okay. You can speak to me. He had a what kind of impediment? Speech impediment. But God is going to what? Speak to him, and he's got to go down and what? Communicate that to the entire nation. Now look, sometimes I get it. He used Aaron, and, and Aaron communicated it for him as well. But other times when God spoke directly, Aaron didn't know what was going on. He still had to overcome that. How did he overcome that? He overcomes that with the consumption, not of himself, but the consumption of God. So I want you to see this, that God is in you. The light is in you. That's very important, all right? Because here it brings us to the first thing. The first thing that we do is we radiate God. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You remember that? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. How bright is your light? You need to ask yourself this. If God is a consuming fire, if he should consume and take or enlighten every aspect of who we are and every part of our being, we should really ask ourselves in our assessment of who we are as a follower of Christ is how bright is our light? 
You know, in the world today, we talk about this in the, in the sense of lumens, all right? So, if, have you ever tried to replace a headlamp on your car? Have you ever done that? Have you ever had to pray, uh, replace a headlight on your car? One of Tamara's headlights went out not too long ago. And so, I had to replace it with a brand new one. So then I get behind Tamara and we're driving home. And Tamara's got this really, really, really bright light. And then she's got this light, which is what? It's a 2012 car she has. It's 2018. So what? She's got this other light, and it in no way, shape, form, or fashion is near the brightness of the other. Now, the light worked, right? It illuminated the road for her to be able to see. And in fact, if I had not put a new one in, I would have never known, right? Look, this is what happens to us. We become followers of Christ, and the longer that we become followers of Christ, the light dims. And then we get around a bunch of other dim people. (laughs) And we think we're okay. Because we're all dim. But then somebody comes in in our midst, and they are what? Fired up for Jesus. And their light is what? Bright. And we don't know how to respond. I've seen that all too many times. They need to just calm it down. You can't save everybody. They think that they're God's gift of evangelism. Jesus is just going to use them and all. What do we want to do? Instead of brightening our light, we want to do what? Tone it down, buddy. Tone it down. But it should be that when we walk into a room or just like that person, when they walk into a congregation or when we see somebody come to Christ, our light should be lit by them. Look what happens. Let's pick it up later. Well, let let me read this passage in Matthew and then we'll pick it back up in Exodus a little bit later when he comes down off the mountain. Path and the passage in Matthew says this verses 14 through 16 therefore excuse me I'm all over the place this morning Hebrews 12 28 29 this is the New Testament reiteration of what we just saw here in Exodus therefore since we have this kingdom which cannot be shaken let us show gratitude by which we offer God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire then he says this in Matthew to us you are the light of the world set a city set on a hill cannot be hidden Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's just what we got through talking about. Now let's see what goes on here with Exodus chapter 34 when Moses comes down off the mountain. And it came about when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his faith had shown of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterwards, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, He put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off. 
until he came out. <clears throat> when, whenever he came out to speak to the sons of Israel, and as he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses. The skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would re replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. So when he was in the presence of God, what? The veil came off. But when he was in the presence of everybody else, he was, he was just what? He was too much for him, wasn't he? He was too much for him. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Where are you right now? What was going on in the life of the people of Israel? When he came down off the mountain, they had made what? Idols. They'd been doing all kinds of stuff. He's gone for 40 days. Actually, I guess he was gone for, well, I guess it was 40 days, but that includes the, the seven days that we were talking about earlier. So he's gone for 40 days, and he comes back down, and in a little over a month, they'd go, gone off the rails. So, I mean, what is the picture of this? Jesus said the same thing. We talked about it last week. When the light comes into the world, people don't like the light, and they run to the what? Run to the darkness. So they'd been doing all kinds of stuff down there at the bottom of the mountain while he was up on top, top speaking with God. And when he came down, he was a picture to them of the presence of God. And what were the people doing? They were scared half to death. Now I want you to think about that. People get fired up for Jesus. And when they get fired up for Jesus, they scare us to death. I think they scare us to death for two reasons. One... We wonder why we don't have that passion. Why ain't God doing that in my life? That's because our light is not being put on the candlestick and put on the top of the hill in the city for everybody to see. We're trying to what? That's right, put it under a bushel. We're trying to hide our light. Why? Because we want to be light. When you shine that light forth for everybody, it exposes everything. Does it not? Let me tell you a little story. This is from high school. This is way back in the day. All right? Yes, I walked to No, I rode a bus to school. <laughs> I didn't walk to school. All right? So I rode a bus to school. And so I got picked on and everything and all that. But that's another story for another day. But I'm... Um, Riding to school, uh, uh, getting to school on the school bus, all the other stuff. We, we decided uh, in our uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, that we were going to go on a trip, a retreat. So we go uh, to Windy Gap, North Carolina. And I had already been baptized. <clears throat> so I had gone through the process of everything, of, of being a Christian. I was a good Baptist. I'd already been dunked. It was all good. I was going to heaven. Woohoo! But the reality was there was no change in my life. And, and so me and some of my friends, we knew this. And so it was a group of about three or four of us that decided to go on this retreat. with. It was a young life retreat. And so we went on this retreat with, uh, with the school and everything. And we go there. And, and while I'm there, I can just feel the presence of the Lord. So um, the Lord saved me on that trip and on a weekend in Windy Gap, North Carolina. I'd already been baptized. I'd already gone through all the stuff. But I gave my life to Christ then. So I came back, and I was what? Fired up dude, all right? One fired up young man. So <clears throat> back in the day, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, if you were an athlete, you were a Christian. That's all right, you know what I mean? And so I'm serious. 
Uh, my, I graduated with 150 people, so you got to figure that my high school had four grades. So that's what, about 600 people in our whole high school. So we have club day the next week. So the, the leader of, of the FCA leader who had taken us on their Young Life retreat asked me to speak about the retreat to all of my classmates. So I can remember this as clear as day. I mean, we're in the band room, and so he asked me to come down. So everybody knows the band room, right? What's in the band room like? Stages going all the way up, right? You know, where everybody's up, uh, up above you. And so I'm down on the floor, and literally there's 150-plus people in the room because everybody wanted to be a part of a club, right? Nobody wanted to sit in the classroom by themselves with a teacher, so they signed up for anything. And if you were an athlete, you were a what? Christian. So the Fellowship of Christian Athletes won. I mean, seriously, there was a quarter of our school in there. So I'm a junior, and so I'm, I'm you know, closer to the top of the pecking order instead of the lower. But I got down there on the bottom, and I basically said this. I said, Jesus is real, and I experienced him this week. And if you are not experiencing him, you're going to die and go to hell. <laughs> that was preaching. That was my first sermon. And it was not well received. Now look, I was an athlete. I, I was a Christian, but of course everybody was, right? Right? In the 80s, back in the day, I just told you, everybody in my school, nobody was going to identify as anything else than that. I mean, so you could have been a country Christian. You could have been uh, a high-dollar Christian. You could have been a poor Christian. You could have been, well, you know, all of that. We were all Christians. Nobody going to say that they weren't. But I was in the room with a quarter of my entire school, my peers there, watching me. And I just, I was a cool kid. I wasn't the coolest kid, but I got invited to all the cool kid stuff. Because I fit in. But I ran into that room that day with what? My light shining. And I was on fire. And I went off every cool list in the world. <laughs> I'm not joking. I walked out of that room and everybody instead of going, Tim, that was awesome, man. That was great, which is what I thought everybody would do, right? It was my first sermon. It all went well. They looked at me like, you are whacked out, dude. You have crossed the line. The faith stuff goes in the back, not in the front. And so I immediately went to the nerd section, which is probably the cool section today. And I went off all the lists, and I fell out of societal bliss. But I was president of the FCA next year. <laughs> See, we think that everybody's just going to embrace us if we run out there with the light. And when they don't embrace us, we start backing up the bus. We want to do whatever we can to be accepted with the light still shining. And what that does is it dims our light. 
And whenever somebody comes back in with passion for Jesus, because he's a consuming fire, it reveals where we truly are. So that scares us. It embarrasses us. And I've seen a many of fired up people for Jesus run off from the church. Because we can't handle the brightness of their light. And just like the Israelites, when Moses came down off the mountain, we can't look on his face. Because every time we look at him, we see what it's like to be in the presence of God. Every time we look at him, it's a reminder of the fact that we're not willing to go there. And we're not willing to do what it takes. And we're not willing to step out or open up to be in the presence of God that way. Second thing it might be is it might actually reveal our sin. So what we do is we do what we talked about last week. We scoot ourselves over into the shadows. And we want to stay there because it's comfortable to us. We're not out in exposed light, but we're not over in the darkness. We don't mess around with all that evil stuff that's over there. We just don't tell anybody else that we're different. And because of that, the effectualness of the kingdom of God is hindered. Not by God, but by us. In this place. Now look, God is God. God will do whatever he wants to do. But I can tell you this. Right now, there's revival going on in the world. It's not happening in South America. It's happening in some places in Africa. It's happening in some places in Eastern Europe where the gospel was not allowed for a long time. There's great places of revival taking place throughout the world. It's just not happening in America. Because we think we're all Christians. And we don't want to offend nobody else. And we don't want anybody else to think that we're over the top for Jesus. So we just kind of shelter that light. And we don't shine bright. And everybody else thinks it's okay. And we think it's okay. So the first thing that we got to realize that we have to do is that we, ra we radiate. We radiate this passion. We got to radiate the heat. And you got to be willing to be taken off the cool kid list. And you got to be willing to at work or in your social environment or wherever you know, for people to actually know you are who you say you are on Sundays. Second thing is not only do we radiate the light, we reflect the light. Did Moses know that he was like this? passage is that Moses came down off the mountain. He'd been in the presence of God, but he didn't know he was different, did he? He was still Moses. Did he have a speech impediment when he went up the mountain? Did he have a speech impediment when he came down the mountain? He did. This is Moses. But everybody else knew that it was different. And I, I think Moses knew that he was different because he'd been in the presence of the Lord. 
But was Moses the source of that light? No. Moses was not the source of the light. You and I aren't the source of God. See, this is where we get in trouble on the second part. (laughs) Because we're Christians, the world thinks we're Jesus. You ain't Jesus. And I ain't Jesus either. I'm not the source of the light. I reflect the light. The light radiates inside of me through passion because it's a consuming fire. And it enlightens those who are around me. If I live it, I can light up a room with Jesus if I come in it. In fact, I know that I have done that before, especially if anybody knows I'm a pastor. <laughs> it just, it's like a sea parting, man. I can walk in room. Look, <laughs> all right, I've told you I've done all kinds of things um, bivocationally while I was planning churches. And one of the things that I did was I actually caddied down at the golf courses at Reynolds Plantation. So it's called four caddying. There was four guys that were down at the Ritz-Carlton down there, and there was a course down there that they could play as a part of their stay at Ritz-Carlton. And a part of that was that they didn't have to go find their own golf ball. I did, all right? So the four caddy, no joke, no, this is for real, this is my job, was to go, that was a great shot. Let me go find that in the woods for you. And then like a golden retriever, I'd go, here it is. And then I'd pick up the flag out of the hole, and I'd stand there, you know, with it all there, and I'd say, this is the line. That was a bad putt. No, I didn't say that at all. And I did that for 18 holes. And then at the end of the day, I was guaranteed $25. And then if they tipped me, I got more. But I was having a good time. And then eventually, what would happen would be somewhere around, generally around 9 or 10 or 11, they would go, they'd been talking about what they were doing. They would go, what, what do you do when you're not four caddy? And I'd go, I'm a pastor. And the whole round just changed right there. Because I've been watching these people for nine or ten holes. And they didn't know who I was. But then when they knew who I was, the entirety of everything changed. People know that I'm the pastor in my neighborhood. Little kids come to the door on Halloween. It's the pastor. You know, I've told you all this before. I'm the first person that everybody comes to when they're selling stuff for school. In fact, one of my neighbors in my old neighborhood, she was just flat honest with it. She said, my kids needed a win. Because they know that I'm going to buy whatever they're selling, right? Nobody's going to want to walk around the neighborhood and get a no from the preacher, right? He's a preacher. He didn't buy the candy. So we got to buy everything. Don't send your kids to my house, all right? I know, y'all. But when you go and you're the preacher in the neighborhood, you can't say no. Because then they'll go tell their mom and daddy. And then you're a bad name in the community. There are sacrifices that have to be made. And back, in fact, I think the church just starts stipending me $100 a month just for, for all the stuff I have to pay for like that. I'm just kidding. 
look, guys, this is what I'm saying. My whole point of all this, and I know I'm doing it facetiously, is that people need to know. And once they know, they know. And when they know, they're watching. And your life must be lived in such a way as to let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify who? God, not you. You're not going to get an A+. Plus. You're not going to get a amen or a hallelujah or a pat on the back if you go tell somebody that you're a follower of Christ. What you're going to get is eyes on you. And see, that makes us uncomfortable. Why is that? Because I'm not Jesus. And I do mess up. And I do have bad days. And I do say the wrong thing at the wrong time, believe it or not. And some of my actions aren't pleasing. To God or to other people. Look, God didn't call you to be perfect. He called you to be obedient. And in his obedience, our light must radiate out of our lives through the passion of the consuming fire that's within us. But then we must reflect the light of Christ and help everybody to see that we are not Jesus, but Jesus is real. And Jesus is alive. And he is transformative. And he does make a difference in my life and can make one in yours. We need to let everybody know that we do make mistakes. But we need to drop our pride and be able to admit when we're wrong or to ask for forgiveness or to tell someone we're sorry. Or to be the person that takes the high road. Even though you were right, you still need to take the high road. Why? Because it's not about you. The world does not revolve around you. You are not the source of the light. You're just reflecting the light. Let's read what Scripture has to say. Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects man. So if we are left to ourselves, what are we reflecting? Ourselves. But if God is at the center of our heart, who should we be reflecting? God. Do you get this? So if man is at the center of himself, he's going to reflect himself. Why would you expect your co-workers, the people that you hang out with who are not believers, to do the right thing? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you this one. <clears throat> so I started investing in the stock market a few years ago. 
And I was buying smaller companies. I'm not buying Apple and all the big companies and all that kind of stuff. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where something might could triple or quadruple or anything like that. I want to invest in something that's good. So I actually went to, to biotech because I was like, these people are trying to find cures for cancer. These people are trying to find ways for us to fix our eyesight. These people are trying to find ways to fix our hearing and all these other things. They're coming up with all these drugs that can do this. Well, let's, let me tell you something, what I've come to find out. And this is public knowledge, but I didn't know this two years ago. Is I started investing my comp- money with these little companies and stuff like, and they're a bunch of crooks. <laughs> they really are. I started reading, and the more I read, I found out that this is where the, you know, management wannabes go to run companies. So they're crappily run. And they happily took my money. And they spent it. And I lost all kinds of stuff because of that. Because you know what I thought? I thought they're trying to find drugs that save people's lives. But they're wicked. And they will lie to get what they want. And I was amazed. But then I stopped and I said, why would I expect anything else from a lost and dying world? Do I really expect the CEO to come out and tell me the truth? Government says he's supposed to, but when he didn't, they didn't arrest him. They still have my money, though. But see, I shouldn't have expected anything else. I thought that since I was investing in something that was honorable, that it was all going to be good. We think that living our lives in a way that we think is honorable, that the world is just going to fall in lock, stock, and barrel behind us. They're not. As their face looks in the water, their face is going to reflect humanity. The heart of a man reflects a man. The heart of God reflects God. Second passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 8 through 10. Oh, excuse me. I'm doing it again. Going all the way to the bottom. John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. This is probably the most important one. I was about to forget it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a what? Witness. To testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was what? Not the light. But he came to testify about the light. How'd that end for John? Mm. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are in the light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. What's pleasing to everybody else is not always pleasing to the Lord. You can have all the friends in the world and be popular and be walking in the shadows and your light is not shining very brightly. Nor are you reflecting the heart of God. So you need to ask yourself this morning, 
Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. We talked last week. That light comes from God. One of the descriptions of God is God is light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Then he says later on that you and I have that light through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the same light that God has given to the world is in us. What are we doing with it? Are we radiating the love of Christ? What do people... This is probably a bad question. What do people think about you? Or when they think of you, what do they think? Do they think compassionate, love, mercy? Or do they think something else? I mean, some of us have tough jobs. You have to make a lot of decisions. I'm not asking if everybody likes you. But somebody can know that you are honest, trustworthy, that you were doing what you were supposed to do with the integrity of which it was supposed to, which it was given you. And it still might not have come their way. But they'll see that. And if they don't see that, though you won't have to defend yourself to everybody else. Because everybody else will already know it. You see, that's what our life is supposed to be. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not to run everybody off. Not to say that everybody's going to embrace you. But to know that you're being obedient. And that you're doing what God is telling you to do. Wherever he puts you to do it. And that's all we can ask. That's, that's what God promises, though. God promises he's going to take care of you through that. And he's going to bless you through that. We don't see and understand that. Moses came down from a mountain to a bunch of hellions. And a mess. And he's like, really? I couldn't go away for 40 days? And have you guys keep it together? He had what? What did he have in his hands? Ten commandments. So don't think that we're going to be able to just walk in a room and transform it. God does that. All God's asking you to do is go in a room and live what you believe. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for just the opportunity which we have to come in, into your house. And Father, I pray that as we come to you this morning, as we lift up your name, that you will, that you will bless us. Not because of, of um, just, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Father, I just pray that you'll have mercy upon us this morning. I don't know what kind of shape we came into this room into. Father, I just pray that when we walk out of here, that we're fired up. That you have relit our lamp. And that though we this is still the same stuff that we came in here with as far as what we got to go back out and deal with, I pray that you'll give us a renewed passion because of your presence. 
Father, I pray that we will not toot our own horn, but we'll reflect the love of Christ. Help everybody to see we're human, but we're holy because you are holy. Give us strength. Give us guidance. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We're going to close a little differently because we don't have any sound today.